How's everybody doing this morning? Hopefully you're doing well. I can get rid of these earphones. I don't need to have those on while I talk to you. And uh, I was watching some video here this morning uh, in preparation, getting ready for uh, what I thought might be this morning's teaching, but uh, it's not going to be. I'm going to hold steady here in 1 Corinthians 11 and finish out. 1 Corinthians 11, before we get into the question that was asked last week about why so much hatred of the Jews, um, I want to have a little bit more prep time uh, for that. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to hold off one more day, two reasons, a little bit more prep time, and two, I would like to finish out 1 Corinthians 11, because when you get into chapter 12, you have 12, 13, 14, all really coming as a package, so it, it just made sense to finish out 11 and then put the pause in there to talk about uh, uh, 
the hatred of the Jews uh, for a bit. That question was asked last week. Uh, and then uh, that may take us two days. We will see how long that takes us. Uh, and then on Thursday, Thursday through, well, really Thursday until the day after Thanksgiving, I'll be off again. Uh, I'll be speaking in Bangor very early in the morning on Thursday the 16th and then uh, jump on an airplane and head to London uh, where I'll be in meetings until the 21st. Uh, I might maybe, no, I I doubt it. I I, I won't be on. uh, And uh, the timing of everything, I don't get back on the 22nd in time for broadcast. So the next day is Thanksgiving, and then the day after that, I will, the day after Thanksgiving, have some thoughts and reflections for you. It's just part of what will most likely be a part of um, uh, just the rhythm of things uh, is as we move ahead. Enough said about that. Let me get us into the passage. Now, we did look at this last week uh, on Friday, and so I'm coming back to it today because I think there's more that merits being said uh, and uh, more insight I'd like to give you. So I want to go back into 1 Corinthians uh, 11 about the Lord's Supper. It says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Uh, and I do think pretty certainly that I referenced this last week. Sometimes we uh, we do we do more harm than good. Uh in our coming together, uh, we do more harm than good when we, when we uh, allow strife to be rife, uh, and uh, we do more harm than good when we allow bad feelings to continue. We do more harm than good when we allow gossip to persist. Uh, we do more harm than good when, when rather than uh, the exaltation of Christ, we're more concerned with uh, our own socialization. Uh, and I think all those things uh, do take place in the life of churches. Uh, and he is speaking very specifically now, he being Paul, uh, about what uh, was taking place in Corinth. He says, "I in the following directors, I have no praise for you for your meetings. Do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. I mean, I've already said last week he has spent uh, considerable time Talking about the divisions all the way back in, in the third chapter, he talked about some follow Paul, some follow Apollos, some follow Peter, you know, and, and he underscores the fact that each of them were only servants of Christ. It's all they were. And that God is the one who brings the increase. God is the one that causes the growth and all those things. So, uh, therefore, um, the, the concern, uh, of division that took place among the people there in Corinth. And we have oftentimes, too often, now we sometimes you see it within a particular church, or sometimes you see it among churches. I was thinking about that this morning. Uh, and some groups are uh, come across as high and mighty, or some groups separate themselves out uh, because they're the, the ones that have the absolute angle on the truth and while they don't say it, sometimes they uh, they come across as uh, uh, 
proud. Sometimes they come across as uh, a diminutive toward toward others who aren't a part of their particular ilk, their particular association, their particular denomination, uh, or using their particular version of Bible. So there, there are things like I was thinking about that this morning. I met somebody on our travels and and uh, when we were in Tennessee, and I was looking at his business card and. Uh, he's a pastor, and now this this is not to say anything necessarily diminutive. I I could be divisive in, in in what I'm saying here this morning, but you know the 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 quotation on his business card: "Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again." Now I like that. That's a King James version, but that's going to tell you that that this particular person and their particular group is probably going to be King James only and. There's a sense of if anybody uses anything different than the King James, then they're spiritually inferior. Uh, we have to be so aware. God's kingdom is bigger than a, than a uh, than a version of the Bible, uh, and God's kingdom is bigger than a particular association. In fact, I want to read to you. I, I thought about doing this yesterday at Pat's funeral, and I. I Decided to not do it just because of time. Um, I want to read to you. Uh, I'll read you what I was going to read. No, let me go back and I'll read John chapter 3 and verse 7. And it may not be that radically different, but I want to read it to you out of the Greek uh, so you can hear what it would sound like. Not do wonder that I said to you, it is necessary for you to be born from above. Uh, And then in verse 8, it says this, The wind where it wishes blows, and the sound of it you hear but not you know where it comes from and where it goes. Thus is everyone having been born of the Spirit. Now, I, I'm reading that to you because I want you to understand that, uh, and that wasn't so bad, but there are portions of the Greek that are just much, much more difficult that if you take them at face value, you're like, what does that even say? So we have to move words around in the English to to make sense of them in in the way that our grammar uh, is constructed. It's constructed differently than is Greek. It's constructed differently than is Hebrew. Uh, And so so this gives me incredible appreciation for the work of those who do Bible translation work, like Shirley Diepenbrock. it's really challenging work to get it right or think about people in other languages. So we have to be careful. My point, I'm beginning to lose myself in Bible translation a little bit. We have to be careful that that we don't view ourselves uh, as uh, superior to anybody else uh, within the Christian faith uh, that, that professes the Bible as the word of God and the necessity of, of uh faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Uh, here, here's uh, a comment uh, coming into the comments here. I was instructed at an early age 
uh, in the teen years, maybe to read King James, uh, and I felt lost. I'd I'd read and read and had uh, little to no comprehension. And that's the way it is for lots of people. And that's where I like to use right now, uh, my particular version I've been using a lot is the New Living Translation. Um, I would rather have people read a Bible that makes sense to them than become discouraged because of difficult language that is not necessary. And uh, so uh, New King, uh, the, the New Living Translation is one I really like. NIV is pretty decent. Uh, I do like and the fact is, there is no perfect translation. They all have their areas of weakness. Uh, and, and I do look for translations more than paraphrases. Now, let's get back into communion and talking about communion here. Uh, he says this, uh, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. But when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. It ought to be the Lord's Supper, but it's not uh, because what you do. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting on anybody else. Uh, one remains hungry, another gets drunk. Now, this particular sentence, uh, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. This this is an area where some churches would practice, hold your bread or hold your juice and we take it together. Some would read into it that. But what they did is they'd get it and just eat it. Even without regard for the Lord's body or the Lord's blood, it's okay. This is bread and this is wine. Let me have some. Without setting aside, especially during the time when they were communing, communing, the fact that this is meant to be a time for us to reflect upon the Lord Jesus. He continues on and says, you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Yes, drunk. Why does he say drunk? Because they use wine. Uh, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? You ought to have your, your food at home. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Then he begins to quote uh, about communion. Let me move this up on the page. It's on the very top now. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, it was part of Passover. Uh, bread was a regular staple food that they would have. So it was a regular uh, uh, a regular staple, but this was a particular bread. And, and some hold the view that they will only use um, unleavened bread. Uh, that's the only type that they will use is unleavened bread. I might have said gluten-free bread last week. That's not what I meant. If I said that last week, what I what I meant was uh, bread made without yeast. And that is symbolic of when the Jews were leaving Israel, uh, and not Israel, leaving Egypt, and uh, they did not have time for the bread to rise. So hence the flat breads that didn't have time to rise. So don't put yeast in it. Uh, make it a flat bread uh, that hasn't risen, uh, and some would say that's the only type of bread they will. Now, I the only type of bread they will use for communion. I I think that they missed the mark on that. Personally, I think any time that we come together with God's people and they say let's let's commemorate the Lord together, I think that that they should be taking the uh, uh, this this is. Um, that we ought to take it together. 
remembering Christ and not holding to these uh, these views that cause us to uh, uh, almost elevate ourselves to be spiritually superior to some people. Now, I, I, there are people in our church that, that don't take communion, and I will respect their conviction on it, um, but yet I would also question the conviction on it because uh, it's something that it isn't about you. It isn't about your particular view. It's about we're here to lift up Christ together and in this moment. The body, the local assembly is saying, let's remember who Christ is. And so we take the bread, we take the cup, whether it's uh, juice or wine or, or whether it's flatbread or not flatbread, we take it to remember Christ. He says this, verse 26, for never eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, now, what does he mean by an unworthy manner? Let's talk about that. Uh, some would, would say, and it's particularly driving, uh, deriving it out of this passage, is the fact that, <clears throat> uh, is the fact that, uh, this bread and this this particular wine, this particular cup, should be reserved for the remembrance of Jesus. And yet they didn't do that. They just, oh, there's some bread, and they would take and eat it. Or there's some wine. They they didn't have the little cups like we have, probably in a chalice, actually, probably in several chalices, uh, and just down a glass of wine. Uh, and that is a, a way in which some of them would... Uh, would eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner uh, and be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, it goes further than that. Many churches would say, you ought to take the time to examine yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, to make sure that you're not living a sinful life, uh, to make sure that you rectified whatever there is between you and the Lord before you take the communion elements. I do think that's a good practice. Uh, in fact, Jesus would say, if you have something against somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, you ought to go to them first and make it right. That comes out of Matthew chapter five, verse 23. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of thought that, that comes to, um, taking the, the body, taking the bread, taking the cup in, in an, unworthy manner and so in verse 28 paul says a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup you know make sure that you're really worshiping the lord make sure that you're really trying to walk with the lord make sure that you're really trying to be uh, all that uh, god wants you to be in in taking the cup now I, i'm going to go over in just a moment here some of the varying views about communion but first allow me to finish out this passage <clears throat> verse 28 says a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. We just talked about that, you know, to, to reflect, you know, the, the, the blood of Christ was shed for the remission of sins. Uh, the blood of Christ was shed so you could be purchased for God. The blood of Christ was shed so that your sins could be forgiven and your unrighteousness could be washed away that is the, what the blood of Christ does and that blood of Christ was accomplished through the body of Christ the body of Christ uh, accomplished all this for us and so when we take communion it's with high regard for the body and for the blood of the Lord Jesus now Paul says if we judged uh, 
He says, uh, verse 30, uh, that is why, uh, verse 29, sorry, for anyone who drinks, eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment onto himself. I mean, the word judgment is a heavy word. It's it's not a light word. It's not, well, uh, you know, some mild condemnation. This is a word, judgment. <clears throat> says, that is why many among you are weak and sick. I mean, because they weren't regarding Christ uh, as is preeminent. They were not regarding Christ as glorious and as holy and uh, as worthy of holding in their hands and and tasting on their lips uh, in a way that, that that lifted him up him up in praise and exaltation. He says that is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number fall asleep. Anytime it talks about falling asleep like this in in that type of vernacular, it's talking about death. Some actually died because of how they mistreated the body and, and, and the the blood, the the bread and the wine. Uh, God actually brought judgment upon them because of that. He says, "But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment." In other words, he what he's saying is, if we would take the time for self examination, there wouldn't be this type of judgment. He says, "When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined, so we will not be condemned with the world. Those who do not know Christ will be condemned." He says, "If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I'll come, I'll give further directions." So he's talking about coming and being with them and giving further directions. Now, I want to go over and share with you uh, some different views. Well, so here's the question. Uh, Catholics deny communion to non-Catholic believers. That, that is a great segue into, um, into our understanding of some of the views of communion uh, and just, just what those views are, uh, partly because uh, the Catholics hold to a different view even of salvation. Now, they would say, yes, it's through Jesus, but they also... There's a works aspect to it, and they're afraid that those who haven't worked, who haven't done the proper penance and things of that nature, uh, would would defile the uh, the communion elements. Now, let me let me share with you a little bit uh, more here. Uh, sometimes it's called uh, the Eucharist. Catholic Church, Holy Communion falls as one of seven sacraments. Uh, wine and unleavened bread are tr- traditional elements, but churches also use grape juice. Uh, we've talked about that. Uh, communion is one of those practices you follow and the significance you recognize. Um, now, there there are varying views. Uh, let me let me bring out the views now. One of the views that the Catholic Church held, and in 1517, Martin Luther penned a list of propositions called the 95 Thesis uh, against the selling of indulgences uh, for the remission of sins. Uh, he he had other many other pamphlets that he decried many of the abuses of the Church, uh, and one of them in 1526 had to do with. Uh, the Lord's Supper. So at their four, the fourth council, uh, the church established, this is in 1215, the doctrine of what's called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation 
means that the bread and the wine literally transform into the body and blood of Christ. That is that is the view uh, that that is held, uh, and the doctrine would, unfortunately, though, breed superstition. Uh, it was superstitious in its nature, and so the Catholic people would become superstitious of many other things. Hence, you see the 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 beads, and hence you see the statues, and hence you see many of the practices that that some Catholic people follow, uh, which are really rooted in superstition and not in Scripture. So the laity came to view the, the bread and wine itself as holy, and priests even began to withhold a communion from the congregations so that the, the sacrament itself morphed into more of a spectacle where you would observe only the priest taking the communion uh, because it was so holy, it was not meant for the common people. And Martin Luther proposed uh, opposed this, and he proposed a new interpretation, which was called a consubstantiation. And, and this is the Lutheran view. According to the consubstantiation view, the bread and wine maintain their physical qualities, and the real presence of Christ's body and blood coexists with these elements during communion. It isn't only, um, it isn't only something that is memorial. Now, there is a contemporary of Luther called uh, Ulrich Zwingli who took the view called memorialism, and that is that is the view that I hold to. Memorialism, memorialism is is simply that it is meant to memorialize the work of Christ. Uh, and, and that is the view of memorialism. He suggested the bread and wine are merely symbols of the body and blood designated to commemorate his death and resurrection. It rejects the need for Christ's presence during Holy Communion because it's just a memorial. Uh Luther and Zwingli would ultimately come together to reach an agreement about communion uh, as the question festered into a great controversy. However, that uh, it still ended in a schism. It still ended in division, and the discussion failed. Uh, now, John Calvin, the French theologian, promoted the view of communion that blended Luther's and Zwingli's. His reform view recognized the spiritual presence of Christ in the elements as well as the commemorative purpose uh, of the sacrament. And today, even now, these four views, transubstantiation, where it turns into when that wafer hits your tongue, it becomes the flesh of Jesus. When that wine hits your tongue or the juice, it becomes the the blood of Jesus, that's transubstantiation, consubstantiation. They don't change, but Jesus is present as as uh, that, that wafer or bread and juice hit your tongue. It, it takes on a, a spiritual difference, consubstantiation, memorialism, and then the reform view, and, and probably I would hold somewhere between memorialism and reform view. I, I believe that if we treat communion correctly, there, there is a unique um, spiritual connection, a holy moment with God, if you will, uh, 
in the act of taking communion. And, and really, I think it has largely to do with your mindset and with your heart set, whether it, uh, whether it is anything further than strictly memorial or not. Uh, each church differs in its treatment of it. Ultimately, each church member decides for him or herself how to interact with it. But those are the four predominant views that have to do with communion. I would say regardless of your view, treat it with utmost respect. Treat the Lord's Supper with utmost dignity. Uh, take the, the, the day when you know it's communion Sunday to examine your heart, to confess sins, to to try to make sure that you're right with God so that as you take those holy elements, you do so uh, in a way that, that truly honors Jesus and reflects glory to him. Well, this wraps up chapter 11, uh, and uh, we will go into chapter 12 either Wednesday uh, or next week. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about, uh, why people hate the Jews so much. Uh, and I, I, I'm not going to say that there isn't some valid uh, reasons for that hatred. Uh, I, I don't want to say that there's not, I, I do think that there is valid reasons. Uh, however, I don't, th- I, I, I don't think that hatred should be the conclusion of the matter. And that's where many people have landed that's where we see so much of it in our news today. That's why we see the fighting uh, over in uh, the Palestinian area, the land we call Israel. What should be the Christian view on this? We'll cover that next time. Friends, have a great day. I will see you tomorrow.